You, you are the conduit. You are the person in between the client, the landlord, and there you are in the middle of the property, and, and it can be very challenging. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Dash.Insider, where we help you become a better property investor. And on today's show, I'm talking with Kelly Preen, who is a property analyst at Dashdot. But we talked about a lot more than just that. We talked about her background, her story, how she actually got into property investing and how back when she started, she did over 50 flips. That's right, over 50 flips. So she's definitely been in the game and doing a lot over a long period of time. She Not only did she do that, she became a property uh, finder, property buyer, buyer's agent type, type person in New Zealand, uh, eventually sold her property management business, paid down a bunch of her assets, and now works at Dashdot reviewing over 100 properties every single week. So there's a lot to learn in this, but it's also a great story with a great person with a great heart. And so I know that this is going to be as as informative as it is entertaining. So make sure you like, rate, review, share, subscribe. Make sure you subscribe if you're on YouTube or wherever, whatever platform you're on. That really means a lot to us. And of course, make sure you share this with a friend, family member, or loved one. And without any, any further ado, let's get stuck right into it. And I'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to Dash.Insider. Joining me on today's show is Kelly Preen. Kelly is one of our property analysts at Dashdot. Kelly, how are you? I am very well, Goose. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Now, a lot of people out there, they think, what the hell's a property analyst? What do you do? Gosh, um, well, firstly, I work in an incredibly um, knowledgeable and capable team of, of people who essentially every month we are analysing thousands of properties. And these aren't just, you know, a thousand of properties anywhere in Australia. These are the top 1% of, of properties available to investors. And then we're essentially putting them through range of due diligence. And I believe is maybe 150, 160 uh, points of due diligence that then funnels that 1% to the top 1% of those. We put it all together in a presentation. And, you know, at that point, I am totally confident that we're able to put forward the best of the best to our clients. And that, awesome. yeah, yeah. So I don't know if that answers the question, but. No, that's, yeah. that's awesome. That was a way better. That was a great answer. <laughs> how many, how, how many, um, and you might know this, not know this exactly. When I ask numbers from people off the cuff, sometimes mm-hmm. people are like, oh, shit. But like if you had to speculate, how many properties do you reckon you personally um, review kind of every week? Well, I guess if we start at the top, I, I think this sort of shortlisted amount per month would be about 4,000. And then yeah. from there, if we say that's 1,000 a week, and then amongst the team, I, I reckon maybe 100 you know, in in, yeah. in depth, some more than others. So yeah, yeah, through that yeah. 150 checks, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that's unreal. That's unreal. And to be honest, that number, 150, 160 due diligence points, that's that's huge. I mean, like, I didn't even realize that it had gotten that sophisticated. But the obviously, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, we've had a 100% success rate with, you know, geez, what, nearly a 1,000, well, around about a 1,000 investors or something in the moment. So there's obviously, there's obviously a lot going into it. So I'd love to dig into some of those due diligence points, maybe maybe in a minute, because mm-hmm. I'd like to actually kind of like tease out a little bit about your background, because mm-hmm. you know I can hear a slightly non-Australian accent <laughs> to, uh, coming through there, yeah. and of course you didn't, you know, you weren't born at Dashdot. So where did it all start for you? Where are you from? What's your background? Yeah, sure. So I'm born and bred British. You may have 
pick that up. So grew up in, I suppose, what was a small town for the UK, maybe 15,000 people. A very solid upbringing. But I suppose if I was to nutshell it, there wasn't any frills, goose. It was pretty basic. We didn't want for anything, but there wasn't anything, you know, additionally. I was the first person in our family to go through university, which was was amazing. I I guess from there I became a teacher. So physical education and English was my background. I went traveling overseas and ended up in New Zealand. And I've been in New Zealand for around about 20 years now. I had my family there. Background there was I started teaching, lost the passion. I'm not entirely sure whether the passion was actually there for it in the first place, but that's another story. And I had that sort of epiphany, (laughs) a sliding door moment, if you will. I knew I couldn't save my way to the kind of life that I wanted and not so much for me, but for my family, for the children. I, I couldn't save my way there, you know, and then we started to hear conversations around myself from people about property and property investing. And that was a completely alien concept to me. I hadn't even heard of such a thing. It, it wasn't part of my upbringing at all. And from from there, wanted to know more. I, I did one of these sort of 101 investing two-day courses. And from there, finished teaching and went into working 18 months in a company. I wouldn't say similar to Dashdot, but there's sort of shades of Dashdot within it. So working... In what context? In what context? Like what were the, what were the shades? Was it they were in real estate investing or what was the, what was yeah, the similarity? The, yeah, yeah. The, the shades were that, yes, they were working with clients who were wanting to purchase investment properties mm. and use them as a vehicle for, for, for future wealth for, you know, for future comfort and and to safeguard their future, I suppose. It did have other facets within that business, like there was a mortgage broking side to it, an accounting side, a property management side. But there certainly wasn't the data and tech there that was primarily there to make sure our clients were purchasing the right properties at the right time in the right places. It was just any property, anywhere, anyhow, and then time in the market was going to do its job. I suppose mm. there's an argument there. You know, there is an argument there. Look, there, there is an argument there to say that over a long enough time horizon, real estate will have a 100% success rate, right? Broadly speaking. Yeah. Right? Even, if, yeah even, sure. if you, even if you bought something, I mean, there's probably, there are actually, you know what, that is not absolutely true because you could buy something out in the middle of a desert somewhere that just goes worse <laughs> over time, maybe, right? But like, broad, broadly speaking, you know, given enough time, there'd be 100% success rate. But knowing what you know, I want to come back, right, because I want to ask about your property investing, you know, your sort of things as well. Mm. But just on that point, knowing what you know now from the inside of Dashdot, what do you think about people who kind of take that approach to, well, it's not about timing the market, it's time in the market, you know, you can't, no one can identify the right time to get in anywhere or any of this kind of stuff. Like, what do you think about? Because I heard, I'm not sure if you're familiar with a guy named John McGrath. He owns McGrath Real Estate. He basically said something like the same thing. Just buy real estate and wait 30 years. It'll all work out in the wash sort of thing. Just buy anything anywhere. What do you think, knowing what you, because you do so much due diligence on properties and locations and everything. Like, you're right in there, in the weeds. What do you think, or what do you think about that? And what advice would you have to give to people who have that kind of mindset? Well, I think I probably had that mindset, you know, and it's not a lazy way of investing. I mean, it will probably do the job, but I think 
with the right information, with the right research, you can do it much better, more quickly and with less risk. And, you know, if and if you've also then got a plan, which I didn't have, which I cannot believe didn't have this, you know, a, a, a plan of what kind of properties I was going to be purchasing and when and where I just went with it and did it. I think that you will do a lot better without all of those risks and 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 maybe you'll get to where you want to go a lot quicker and then maybe your plan will evolve even further from there you know but i can understand the concept because we're very time poor most of us are incredibly busy and to buy a property and set and forget it is definitely appealing isn't it um mm. yeah i mean but but you get the wrong property at the wrong time in the wrong place because you haven't completed all of the due diligence that would have saved you from that, I think it can stop you dead in your tracks. And I think that's maybe why a lot of people do one and that's it. They have a terrible, terrible experience. They can't go forward because financially they or mentally they cannot because they've had such a poor experience. So get it right the first time with the right information behind you. And I think that's what maybe gives you the impetus to carry on. Yeah. Mm, nice. Know. And so, yeah, no, that's, that's perfect. And so, you were in New Zealand when you came mm-hmm. across property investing. You went to a two-day seminar. Been to plenty of those mm-hmm. myself. You went to a two-day yeah. seminar and you you were like, "Whoa, oh my god, I can change my life." And then and then what happened? Did you personally start investing? Then talk to me a little bit about your investing journey. Yeah, sure. Well, it was that it was that seminar, but also maybe I I was also blown away with open homes. This was an, a crazy concept. Coming from the UK, property and buying property is a bit secret squirrel. It's only for some people. You know, it's not for everybody. And to even go and see a property, you know, there's appointments and hoopla to jump through. I can just rock up to an open home and go through it and, and, and look at these houses. This, this also with that, you know, the 101 investing course sparked that, you know, interest. And so I did the 18 months in this business in New Zealand, looking and getting familiar with some fundamentals of investing and then decided that I needed to go and do this for myself. And at that time as well, I suppose the goal I had was I wanted to buy my own personal property. I didn't have the deposit. So how was I going to get that? So I started flipping properties like on the tools, doing that. And eventually that kind of evolved into property finding, not just for myself, but for other people. So I was finding the clients and I was finding the property and doing so everything in between. L- l- let, me, let me jump in there. So you wanted to buy, when you say buy your own property, you mean like you wanted to buy your own home, but you couldn't afford it, but you yes. had enough money to, okay, cool. So you had enough money to yes. buy cheap rundown Correct. investment properties and put in some sweat equity to increase yep. the value yep. of them. And, and so that's how you were getting, pulling yourself up by your bootstrap, so to speak. 100%. And not only they were properties no one else in places where people weren't buying at that time. Mm. People thought I was crazy. But it was the only thing I could do right then to get me where I wanted to, which was my own home and stability with, for me and the, the kids, essentially. And then by doing that time and time and time again, cookie cutter, it was always the same paint, the same carpets, the same light fittings. It was just bang, 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 bang. Turn it around as quickly as I possibly could. I How I many flips do you reckon you did? Oh, Goose, f- at least 50 plus. Wow, but that's a lot. It's a lot. I mean, that wouldn't have all been personally, you know, once for myself. You know, by the time I was property finding and doing that type of thing 
that would have also included other people as well that had mm. properties that needed that renovation. Yeah, that's what I did. I and so when you were doing the, when you were do, when you were doing the property finding stuff. So this is super interesting, Kelly. Right. So you right. So you started flipping for yourself, right? And you started finding deals and doing deals. Mm-hmm. Then you started finding properties for other people, and then also mm-hmm. flipping those properties for them. Is that mm, right? Not, not yes and no. There would be the odd one or two where they would want to flip them, and I would provide a service, you know, with the renovation. But they were just they would do the the on sale themselves. I had no part in that. So it was mostly then finding properties for people that wanted to buy and hold. And just let them sit there. You know, whether they had a renovation component to them, then I would help them with that. But mostly it was, you know, buy and hold for those types. So, yeah. And then from there evolved property management. Yeah. So talk to me about that because you ended up, you ended up with like your own real estate agency basically in the, in, in New Zealand. Is that right? Is that like, where did that come into it? Yeah. I, I, I think so. Whilst doing the whole um, property finding, and um, doing this for other people and off into the sunset they would go, there was this common thread by where they were coming back to me and going, you know what, we just can't find good property management. It's just not delivering the on-paper results we know this property can deliver. We can't find the property managers who can provide the service to do it. And so that's where... I started so literally taking on other people's properties and managing them for them and so yeah by the end um, I had my own residential property management business in Auckland with a, a, a great team of people it went really well it had that and built and grew it and it went all through COVID as well which was challenging yeah no regrets it's an it's an interesting industry it's a difficult industry you, you are the conduit you are the person in between the client the landlord and there you are in the middle of the property and and it can be very challenging and so yeah what happened to that business did you sell it is it like what? i did yeah yeah i i I think i literally got to a point in my life where you know i got my own personal home i'd got my investment properties my personal investment properties i had built this business i'd reached a certain age the family the kids were now off doing their own thing and and I was really grateful that the choices the choices I'd made along the way with property had allowed me to help them and assist them into the lives and get them started you know put put one through university for example which isn't cheap provide the other with you know the ability to get on the road to in the workplace but not have you know the worries about rent and bills and things initially so I kind of hit these points where it was time to sell the business. I wanted to relocate to Brisbane. I wanted to do the next thing in my life. And I wanted to draw a, under, a line under everything, I think. I wanted to pay the banks off. I didn't want mortgages over my head, rightly or wrongly. You know, I, I do have some regrets about that now. <laughs> but it was right at that time. And I definitely don't regret it. So... I just wanted to have some passive income coming in so that I could, with a clear head, make choices for Kelly Pring, not a business Mm. owner. Of course, I'm a mother, but not a mother purely for me. And that was the right thing to do. So I sold the business. It went really, really well. And it enabled me to pay the banks off, pay the mortgages of the properties off and have some cash left over and move on yeah, and come nice. to Brisbane. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And so, you, so you've still got a pretty decent property portfolio because like if you had 50 of the like, you know, of the flips and stuff you did, um, did you do any buy and hold investing or was it like all flips or like? 
Did you I, keep I, any of them? Could, like to, to the degree that you're comfortable, can you tell me a little bit about your portfolio? I'm fascinated. Yeah. No, that's okay. Um, I should have kept more. <laughs> I think I was so, and this is this goes back to me saying I did not have a plan. I think if I'd have had a plan, if I'd have had dashed off and I'd had people around me that I could have spoken to, I think that would have really helped me. I'm, I'm happy where I'm at, but I could have done a lot better and gotten there a lot more quickly with less hassle, less elbow grease. <laughs> but I initially was doing most of those flips because if you remember, I was only making 20 grand on a flip. That's a skinny wow. deal. My God you know, mm. but that enabled me to do the next and the next and the next and to live as well. So it took me quite a long time to 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 get together a deposit because Auckland property is not cheap at all. And so, you know, and I needed a 20% deposit at that time. Um, so you're not just talking, you know, 100 grand, you're talking back then double that. So trying to to make that. So that was just tunnel vision at that time and it wasn't until I sort of came out the other side of that that I realized I needed to start holding property as well and so right now do I wish I had more property giving me income absolutely and I'm also in that position where the assets I've got are very very valuable and there's a lot of equity within them Mm. there's locked up now in those assets right locked up in these four or five assets that are income producing but could be doing a lot better you know mm. because there's a there's a ceiling of rent that you can achieve you know on a you know a, a four bedroom two bathroom property in central Auckland you know there's there's a there's a there's a level where you can't get any more yet you've got a lot of equity just sitting there and I mm. think I'm now in that place where I need to, and I needed this hiatus, I think, in my life to really get a look at it. And I don't know if I would have looked at it if I hadn't come to Dashdot and I hadn't been surrounded by people that know a heck of a lot more than I do. And everyone's walking the walk. We've got active investors and everyone's got their different ways of doing things and all of which have, you know, value and and so on. And I fully realize now the position I'm in and I need to get a plan for the first time in my life for the next part of what, what I want to do with investing. Super yeah. interesting. Well, you're in the right place. You know, you could go get yourself a portfolio growth plan, you know, line up, I know. Get, it, get, it, get it done. <laughs> I oh, know. You're, in a great, you're in a great position, you know, like a lot of a lot of people aren't in a position. It's like, yeah, I mean, learn some lessons getting some equity locked up and stuff like that. But that's, again, that's still a pretty good position to be in. There's loads of ways to yeah. kind of un- unstick that. I'd be interested to know, um, reflecting, knowing what you know now, if you could go back 10 years or or Actually, how long ago did you start doing this, by the way? Oh, wow. It would be, I would say I started dipping my toe 2009, something like 2009. that. 2009. Okay, so we'll call it, call it whatever. Let's say, yeah, okay. Yeah. Let's, but let's say go back 10 or 15 years, whenever. Go back to the start. Knowing what you know now, what would you have done differently? I, I say it again. I would have spoken to people who knew a lot more than I did, have the access to all the tools, the research, the data, everything. Yeah, but if you knew what you knew now, but if you knew what you knew now, right, so armed with the knowledge that you've got, because back then you didn't have the knowledge that you have now. So you were like, okay, I'm going to do flips, I'm going to do this kind of stuff, I'm going to flip, I'm going to to renovate and sell and do all this kind of stuff and then you're going to end up with a few properties and they're all paid off and that's great. But knowing what you know now, if you could go go back, put yourself back in the same shoes that you were in back then, and what strategically, how would you have approached it differently? That's a really difficult question. I, I would like 
to have done less but better <laughs> more efficiently more efficiently and i you know i think i was a little bit hung up on value adds that was something that definitely was 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 something that springs to my mind i i think that value adds are just that they're value adds let the location do the heavy lifting every single time that's where i think the emphasis should have been and i i i i think that that would be my main takeaway you know as to going back but yeah i had the specific single minded purpose of why i was doing what i was doing you know at that time and what was important mm. to me so mm. nice okay if you were going to give advice to someone who is just starting their property investment journey then what advice knowing what you know now from your journey and also from what you you get to experience now on on the daily basis inside dashdot what advice would you give to a an early stage, a first-time investor who's just getting started, who wants to create a property portfolio and create a life of freedom, choice, and abundance, what advice would you give them? Aside from like, you know, make sure you get the right team around you and do all that kind of stuff, but like what, what kind of practical advice would you give? Oh, well, obviously, you know, I having been on the inside with Dashdot and 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 had my toes in investing for quite some time, I, I can honestly hand on heart say you definitely need to come at least have a conversation with 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 dashed out on its its team to see you know what 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 it's all about and and go down that rabbit hole and have those conversations it it's really really important i i would say that everybody has got their opinions on investing and everybody thinks that their way of doing things well not everybody but people have very strong opinions on property and investing and what's right and what's wrong and, and so on and i think sometimes you can get analysis paralysis and there's so much and it's so huge and it's so difficult that you do nothing i would say have those conversations with 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 us with the team and and see what happens at the end of it i would rather have 100 conversations and one great thing comes from it than not have that conversation at all you know be be open be vulnerable there's you know if you haven't done anything or you think you don't know what you should know that's okay that is totally fine that's why you're here that's why you walking through the doors to speak to people you know that are that are doing it at, at the moment you can read every single book under the sun but that that doesn't turn into action you know what, yeah. what's the good of that you know i, yeah, 100%. I you know, you come across so many people and they've read every book under the sun and then you start delving into what they've actually done or are doing and the sum total of it is not a great deal 100%. So, people say people say knowledge is power, but if all you do is accumulate knowledge and don't take any action, there's no power in that at all. That's that's like that's actually completely disempowering. You know, what mm-hmm. what you know, what actually causes knowledge to have power is knowledge with action. And so therefore action is the actual trigger that catalyzes knowledge into power. So mm-hmm. you've got to you've got to do stuff and you've actually got to surround yourself with the right people to be able to make sure you're on the right path as well. So Oh, uh, I have never ever been afraid of not being the smartest person in the room. I don't want to be the smartest person in the room. That's not a great place to be. You know, where's the learning, where's the development from that? So, um, yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely surround yourself with people that know more. Yeah. Okay, awesome. So I want to kind of dig in a little bit now into kind of like some due diligence stuff, right? Because you are analyzing, you know, 100 plus properties a week. <laughs> you've done, you've done, you know, m- 50 plus flips you've been you found properties for god knows how many people in your own but how do you what are kind of like some you know some key things that you think investors should be looking at when they're doing due diligence on a property 
Okay, well, I'm assuming that we're looking at properties in in our price range, first off, that mm -hmm. you've identified the right, the right price range, because that's not always the case. I definitely have been, you know, back in the day, you'd turn up at auctions because a lot of stuff would be auctioned. Uh, thinking you could buy this property, but actually you were just there to start the bidding and then someone else would end up purchasing the property. So assuming you're in the right price range, assuming you have done the due diligence that you are in the right Blumen location, because that's what's going to do the heavy lifting, that's what's going to primarily give you the growth, right? You know, have you checked you can get lending through that location? Have you checked it's got all of the right ingredients for growth in that location? right property, right place at the right time? Have you checked that there aren't dynamics about that location that are going to impede the capital growth, you know, of that property as well? So I would start there. I mean, this is, I don't want to waste my time. So I want to make sure I'm heading in the right direction. And those are your sort of fundamentals. And then the, the, the rest of the due diligence that follows to safeguard your interests, you know, primarily that you're not going to make a mistake. The sort of initial checks that we are making as analysts would be, you know, price, rent return. Is there a tenant in that property already? If there is, what rent are they paying? Are they on a lease? Are they on a periodic? You know, is the property in a flood zone? Is what's the title? Let's review the title. What's on that that we need to be? What do you what, what are you what are you looking for when you're looking at the title? That's interesting. You right? know, if there are covenants on there, specific ones that might have some type of effect on the property, on the the, the value of the property, or impact you being able to to do certain things on that property. You know, we delve into are there easements on that property that might preclude you from developing it in some way, shape, or form with a value add. You know, like a workshop or something along those lines. You know, we're we're essentially doing all of those things. What are the holding costs? Because a property may look fantastic on the headline figure, the gross yield looks great, but Maybe the holding costs are going to affect the net yield. You know, what's the insurance like? What's the council rates on water like? You, what's what's uh, the building and pest costs, for example, even through to, you know, your property management fees as well. So what's the maintenance? You know, are there specific things that need to be done on this property in order to get it ready for tenanting? And what are those costs? You know, mm. um, what are potential hidden costs as well? So, you know, these are just sort of, some of the fundamentals, you know, that we would be would be doing on a day to day basis. Yeah. What's the what's the what's the most memorable uh, property that you have done that you've worked on, and why? Oh, like personally or for a client? I know that for like in, when you've been doing at Dashdot, like what's the most memorable one? Like maybe, you know, a deal where you had a prickly agent or something where it was like, this is an amazing property, but then something came up where it was like, oh my God, this is trash or, you know, just, it could be good memorable or it could be bad memorable, but like, what's one that stands out to you? Okay. I, I actually, okay. I have a really recent example for this. And in fact, I think the client um, sent through an email and this was a, a property in Port Lincoln. And the property, I believe it was the client's first property. And I personally love Port Lincoln. And it was a property where the owners of it 
had lived in it forever and a day and they wanted to sell the property to free up equity in order to maintain and live their lives through their retirement but they and they wanted to live in tenant in that property as well and so it was absolutely the right property there was development aspects to it so there were value adds it was in the right place you know locationally as well certainly at the right time and i loved the way we were able to put like a full wraparound solution for the owners and for our client so they were able to get great great rent um, for the property which would increase incrementally every year the old owners who loved their home but were in the position where they had to sell to free up cash got to stay in the home that they loved as well Um, and it was just like this beautiful 360 the hug the deal that would give you a hug you know um all around and um I I love that. And so it felt like not only were we impacting the lives of our clients, that they got this great property that was going to serve them well, but it also impacted, you know, the the purchasers as well, that they were able to Mm. do what they needed to do. So that was really lovely. I enjoyed hearing that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I enjoyed hearing about that too. I enjoyed getting an email about it. So yeah, that... um, yeah, yeah, our clients. I think it was Aaron and Holly. They um they bought that property. Yeah, the the the, the owners got to stay in the property. There was like mm-hmm. some built-in price increases every year, so everyone knows what's That's going right. on. Rents going up, all good. Owners that was get me. to stake. Yeah, I know. I know it was you. <laughs> I know it was awesome, right? So yeah, it was a it was a great deal and a great outcome, you know. And and what I loved hearing about that is our clients and the former owners now the the tenants. I've also built a great relationship and a great bond okay. as well, and and I yeah I thought that was um I thought that was really what really wonderful. So yeah I'll uh, yeah if you didn't if you didn't see that I'll um, I'll ping you in it because there's some really interesting uh, wonderful detail in, in that as well. So oh, I think I think that is something I love about our team and Dashdoor. We've we've got all this research, this data, this tech. I I can tell you now it's got the heart too. Every we care deeply, you know, about what we're doing and. And when we put through those properties to people, we've done all this due diligence. We know it works, but we've also pinpointed and selected the right client for it too. So, mm. yeah, that gives a bit more sort of context. Yeah, because yeah, get like the right property for the like right property, right place, right time is wonderful. But like specifically, that's going to be different based on the individual because you could have a great oh. property. You could have a fantastic property in a great location at a perfect time that's the wrong asset for someone's portfolio, and so getting that mm-hmm. that jigsaw puzzle of getting those pieces to to work uh, really well together is is super important. What what is like what motivates you to keep doing what you're doing every day? I I mean I'm a very intrinsically motivated person. I have exceptionally high standards of myself. Whatever I'm doing, I have to care about 100. That's an, that's an absolute non-negotiable. So it, I I identified Dashdoor, you know, as doing some research on you guys, listening to podcasts, et cetera. And I thought, this is a match. It's a match. The standards with you guys are, you know, so super high and you care so deeply and I'm exactly the same way. So I, I knew it would, it would, it would go well. Um, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, I'm just letting that land <laughs> for a second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Nice. You go ahead. No, no, yeah. all good, all good. I was letting it land as well. Okay, so I want to ask you. I want to ask you a different question. Going off a slightly different tangent here, but you must speak to real estate agents all the time, right? Because you're mm. looking at properties, you're trying to like tease information out of them to try and work out whether or not the deal's a deal or if it's not a deal and stuff like that. 
What mm-hmm. tips would you give to someone listening to this on how to build rapport with real estate agents so that they can actually get the information they need? Tips would you, because I know that you, you're called the agent, you, it's a little kind of, you're the agent whisperer is a little <laughs> nickname that you've, that you've got inside Dashdot. So I'd love to, I want to pull this out of you. What, what tips have you got as the agent whisperer to build rapport with real estate agents? I I think, okay, so we've got like the initial conversations we have on the phone and then we've got the the kind of the aftercare of the agents, you know, ongoing, I think. So during those sort of phone conversations, I literally approach those conversations in exactly the same way I would approach building a relationship with anybody. It's not you're an agent and you've got this lovely property that I want to buy. It's you're a person on the end of this phone. I I approach it with zero ego. I approach it, I don't know quite how to articulate this, but yes, you've got this property, but equally, I'm. there are other properties too. I, I'm very relaxed, you know, with my approach, you know, to an agent. We have a natural conversation. I, I don't approach it like, this is the information I want to find out. And these are the questions I'm going to ask you in list form, because they get phone calls like that every single day of the week. So I need to connect in a more natural way with them. And so we we have a conversation and that information slowly comes out, you know, during the course of, of that. I think agents also can get really, I think a bone of contention in conversations with agents is when you start talking about price, mm. how where they see value, where I might see value. But the way I tend to approach it is that I don't know everything. Let's let's talk about this. I'm always organized. So I will have identified where I see value in that property. And I will have a comparable that is above, below, and comparable to that subject property. Mm. And I will talk about those properties, not about prices. We're still talking about price, but we're talking we're talking about properties as such. So here's this address. You know, it seems like it's superior because it's got X, Y, or Z, whereas the subject property doesn't really have that. What do you think? And I'll talk about that. Then we'll talk about underneath that, lower. So then we'll pull into the one that is most like a subject property. And before you know it, we've agreed what, where the price sits. And then that actual pinpointing of, you know, well, what's going to buy this property? What's going to get it done is a very natural jump to that point. I don't, have I, maybe love you it. can wrap that round. No, I love that. No, I love, you just did that you, fantastically, right? Yeah, I think oh, you did it. Okay. awesome. I think you did okay. awesome, right? Because what, what a lot of people don't understand, they think that, right, I'm going to go into battle with this real estate agent, right? No. They've got a house. I'm going to buy the house, right? What tactics am I going to use mm. to kind of like get it? But if you first, Remember that they're human, right? Build human, genuine human connection. Uh, understand that they've got a job to do. That's then right. yeah. use then use practical reference points to help them walk to a path where the only thing they can end up doing is arrive at a rational, logical price point, which you can agree with. Mm-hmm. That's the best way I don't know. That's awesome. I think some, I was actually just reflecting as you were saying, I was like, there's some really good nuggets in there. Well, it is. And then, you know, afterwards, you know, the aftercare of these agents that you're building these relationships with, I always do what I say I'm going to do. You know, I will always follow up if they email me or call me and I can't quite get to that right now I will acknowledge their emails you know if they send me through a property I will always thank them for thinking of me you know putting me as a 
primary point of, of you know, I'm, I'm, I appreciate that. So being very consistent, also touch points very consistently as well. You know, I send regular emails. I try to make regular phone calls. It's not always possible. You know, we're very, very busy. Essentially, what I, I suppose do, you have a business development manager for sales. I business development management for properties. Same thing, just different, you know. Yeah. So I think, you know, that that and when you become this really consistent person acting in a consistent way and, you know, and creating that human interaction, it sets you apart, you know. Yeah, 100%. From, 100%. Yeah. I, I want to ask, I'm mindful of time, but I want to actually glean a little something out of you, right? Because you are, you, you've got a background in property management. You mentioned that, um, that a lot of investors that you were dealing with at the time, they were buying these properties and then going, oh, we're not getting the on-paper performance. Mm. Now you are doing due diligence on properties. You're working out what they, sh- how they should be performing before they're going to our clients and all of that kind of stuff. How important is getting the right property management for the asset to make sure that you can actually get the outcome you're after? Where do you think people might go wrong there? <laughs> It, it it sort of it blows my mind that that people can spend all this time, money, effort selecting the right property in the right place at the right time, and it's the most expensive asset that they hold probably, or assets they hold, and then they choose the cheapest property management service that they can possibly find to deliver the this. The, the the results on this asset mm. you know I, I don't buy the cheapest saucepan from kmart let alone the cheapest property manager to deliver what i need to be delivered on on my properties at all you know it it's the phone rings you you know you've got someone on the end of it who's who's wanting to talk to you about your property management services and the very first question that you ask is what's your fees you've gone wrong straight away straight away it, it it really is. It's it's very similar to how people can get so rate driven with with their lending. They forget about all the structure and and so on and so forth. Mm. It's, it's purely about the rate, and that's it's not how it should be done. I don't, in my in my view. So yeah, I would be asking a whole raft of questions before I ask what their in, uh, property mm. management fee fee was. Absolutely, you know, one percent, two percent here and there is nothing compared to what you'll pay out the other end if you get it wrong. Yeah, hundred percent. It's really interesting. Do you think if like if instead of being called property managers, if you think that do you think if their title was asset manager, it might be different psychologically? Because yeah. I don't think people I don't think people think about them. They're like, what's a property manager do? They deal with the tenants and collect the rent. Well, no, 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 no. They're your asset manager. And you might have a $300,000, $400,000, $500,000 asset. It could be a million-dollar asset. It could be – you've got this thing and it's worth a ton of money, right? Mm. It's worth so much, in fact, that you went into partnership with a bank and said, hey, can you actually – I can't even afford this massive thing, but I tell you what, I'm going to guarantee that I'll give you your money back. Can you give me even more money? And then you go and put it into this asset – and then you're like, just get the kind of lowest common denominator asset manager to take care of this extremely valuable thing, which is also supposed to produce an on-paper return, which if you have suboptimal management, probably won't. It's bizarre, I think. And I think that's where like, I think a lot of people go wrong. And just to your point about, um, about mortgages as well, liquidity is far more important than interest rates. You know, I take give me a high interest rates and unlimited liquidity, and I'll, and I'll, I'll I'll take that every day of the week. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of people kind of like shoot themselves in the foot or fall a little bit short by making these kind of short term assumptions. Yeah. Um, do you have any thoughts around that? 
No, I couldn't have said it better myself. You know, it, it, it really, <laughs> I, I really don't. You encapsulated it beautifully. And you're right, language is so, so powerful. I mean, when I um, we go talking about building relationships with agents um, and you talk about language, you know, calling a property manager an asset manager, when I pen emails to agents, the title of that email is critical, mm. you know, um, I find. You know how they're going to. Yeah, the headline headline is the is one of the most important things in copy. What do you what do you put in the headline? What do you put in the subject line? Oh, look, it depends on what you know. I'm touching base with them over, you know, but I, I want something <laughs> that's going to grab attention, you know, or or um, yeah, I I I want to make them open it. Or sometimes, you know, if they're waiting on an answer of whether we're going to go proceed with a property or not, you know, I I make it clear in the headline that yes, we are. So they're now completely receptive. You know, maybe maybe I'm asking, you know, if I'm doing some negotiation um, before presenting that property and, and I want to know if perhaps they'll accept an offer with this particular due diligence clause or not or not. You know, the fact that I've put in the title, you know, that we that we are going ahead with 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 uh, the purchase means that they're far more open to accepting the terms, you know. <laughs> of of that purchase you know they're already in a good mood so i mean it's a simplistic example but yeah i think language is really really important i would have much preferred to be called an asset manager <laughs> and <laughs> you know i think yeah totally mm. nice yeah. nice well kelly have you got any other advice before we wrap it up have you got any other kind of final tips or any other advice that you want to give to aspiring investors or even seasoned investors before we wrap it up Oh, gosh. Um, I suppose for aspiring investors, you know, goes back to what we were saying about, I don't think it's ever too early to start at least looking at the potential to begin your property portfolio. And, um, you know, my, my youngest is 19 coming into 20. And that's where he is right now, you know, and it's not it's not pie in the sky. It's not something that's unobtainable. Start early, start reading, start talking to people, surround yourself with the right people, um, set your goals. I think I think is, is start as early as you possibly can and get a plan together from, from the get-go. And I think it will serve you much better in the long run for sure. Yeah. I, I, I love I, that. Yeah. I, I definitely think that's, Whilst not forgetting to live in the moment as well, you know, we've got to enjoy ourselves along the way. We're always planning ahead and we want this and the next thing and the next thing. Still got to, you know, live these lives. So definitely living in. Failure is definitely your friend as well, Goose. Don't be afraid of that. What's your favourite failure? Oh, my God. Um, what's, what's the my... best one? What's the, what's, the, what's the one that you're like, man, that was a real... That was a real, that was a real, your biggest one, your, fa- your favorite one, the one that you were just most grateful for. God, I can't say I was grateful for it. I <laughs> dipped my toe into property that was commercial residential combined mm. asset. And um, I set up like this property hub where there was individual leases on the commercial aspect of the property, you know, mortgage broker accountant, you know, so on and so forth. And we had a property management part in, in, in the building and it had a residential portion at the back as well. It was hands down the best income producing asset I've ever owned and I sold it. <laughs> Why did you sell it? 
I I would have to unpick that one. Um, it sounds terrible, <laughs> like, but, but I I don't think I would ever sell. What was the lesson? What was the lesson you learned? What was the lesson you learned out of it? Because there's always every out of every failure you get a massive lesson. What was the specific lesson other than other than, geez, I wish I didn't sell that. What was the lesson you got out of it? The lesson I got out of it was that. Oh man, this is this thread about not having a plan. I think I, I literally, it was a knee jerk reaction. I didn't think too deeply about it. There was other fish to fry, and I wanted some 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 cash, and that was the asset that I chose to sell at that time. It was probably the easiest one. I had a buyer lined up, you know, and I just I just did not think of the ramifications in the future. Ram, you know ramifications of that and it was just reckless and it was thoughtless and I literally was just thinking of the next step and the next step rather than the broader picture I think yeah mm. Mm. yeah super hindsight's 2020 hindsight oh, is 2020 isn't it <laughs> <laughs> oh. Kelly I have really enjoyed our episode. Genuinely, it's been really, it's Aww. been really fun, and there's lots of really, uh, lots of great nuggets in there, and that's lots of really great stories as well. So, really Aww. appreciate your time. Thanks so oh, much. Oh, that's so kind. No problem at all. It's been fun. <laughs> awesome. All right, I'll speak to you soon. Okay, Thanks, Kelly. Bye.